Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to the Dirty Birds and Brews podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Knight, at Falcoholic Kevin, joined today by a very special guest, uh, becoming becoming a bit of a, of a frequent guest now, maybe even getting into friend of the show territory, Daniel Flick, at D-Flick Draft. So, Daniel, how we doing? Uh, you know what? Very, very good today. I, I, I don't know. I feel kind of refreshed. It's been, uh, what's today? Tuesday. We're three days removed. I'm not sure when this is going to air. Apologies. But it's, um, you know, we're a few days removed from the draft by now. Feeling a lot more refreshed than I was Saturday night on the live show. Um, but you know what? We're, um, I, I'm very glad I'm, I'm in friend of the show territory now. It's a very big accomplishment. I, I might add that one onto my uh, Twitter bio. So yeah. It's big. It's 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 a serious thing, obviously, uh, to be a friend of of this illustrious podcast. To steal a line from from Aaron Freeman there, but anyone who comes on, you know, the day three draft party instantly gets you know taken up the uh, the rankings because uh, that, especially late in the day, because they kept us there uh, the entire time, basically. So I uh, appreciate appreciate uh, you pinch hitting on on multiple uh, draft shows at this point, but. Uh, yeah, guys, we're going to be getting into this Falcons draft class. I uh, got a little UDFA talk to now that we know the six players that the Falcons have brought in an undrafted free agency. So that's got all that good stuff to look forward to before we take off. Want to thank today's sponsor, betonline.ag, your number one source for all your sports betting needs, including info, stats, news, and scores. You can get the latest odds and lines for this year's ongoing NBA playoffs. You can also bet on NFL futures, including the Falcons, if you're particularly spicy on Atlanta's chances to win the NFC South or NFC Championship, or even the Super Bowl, if you're really, really, really spicy. Uh, but no matter what you decide to do, Bet Online is always your sports information headquarters this season, as they've got you covered for all your sports wagering needs, basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, right to UFC and boxing. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games you can play right from your home. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Daniel, I know you came into this show with... Uh, some 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 takes to to unleash on our Lord and Savior Bijan Robinson, who we talked about at length before the pick was made. I uh, you know we I think we can pat ourselves on the back for that one. Uh, so good job us. But uh, yeah, please please I I know you have something prepared uh, some prepared statements. So please continue. I do. I I hope I remember it all. But uh, <laughs> I do have a few high points that I want to hit on here with Bijan. Uh, you know, to me, I've, I've seen obviously a lot of people have said things like you can't draft a running back in the top 10. To me, that is extremely close minded. Um, you know, it, it's for me, it's like, what's the point of the evaluation process if you're going in saying I can't draft this guy in the top 10 because he plays X, Y, Z position? Um, you know, it's especially for me when you look at Bijan, how just, you know, how special of a football player he is, not even just as a running back. I think he's an outstanding football player who happens to have the the uh, the tag of being a running back. Um, and, you know, I think he'll be used in ways that it's not just where he's a running back. But, you know, if you look at the way that the um, the way the way the way that the, that the draft unfolded, you've got. Obviously, you've got Carter on the board still. You've got 
Christian Gonzalez on the board still. You've got a few other offensive linemen on the board still. But if you're talking about BPA, you've got a defensive tackle in Carter who, as we've now learned, the UGA coaching staff did not deliver very high marks on him apparently, uh, you know, on top of some of the other off-the-field stuff that happened in the lead-up to the draft. The Falcons, obviously, you've got the whole, you know, Watson situation last offseason. But apart from that, this Falcons regime has kind of stayed away from, you know, people with off-field um, problems, right? And so I think that's part one that we have to really look at and consider there, that if you're talking about drafting a guy at eight, you have to make sure that guy is a culture fit. And they evidently, you know, Carter was not that guy for them. Um, and then you look at, you know, Oregon corner, shout out Christian Gonzalez, right? It, it's there's been teams who've talked about competitive edge with him. And again, you listen to everything that Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot have said, and it's smart, tough, competitive. They, they are really putting an emphasis on tough and competitive in every draft pick that they've made pretty much throughout their entire three years. Gonzalo's evidently there's a lot of teams who, you know, felt like he didn't check that box. And so again, if you're drafting a guy at eight, he's got to check every box that you have. You are making an entire draft class around that player. Um, and so then, you know, you look beyond that and the overall argument of positional value, let's talk about player value. Sure. He's a running back, but if we're being conservative, he's probably a top three player in the draft. If we're being aggressive, he's probably top one, top two players in the draft and you draft him at pick eight. That's very good value in terms of overall draft value. I think that's very important to look at as well. And then you look beyond that. If you're not drafting Carter, you're not drafting Christian Gonzalez, who, who else are you going to draft at eight? You can argue pass rusher. Who's there that's going to impact your team as much this year as Bijan Robinson is? If there's a guy that you can look at and you can say, okay, you know, that guy can become a Pro Bowl pass rusher. I think it's all projections with who is there on the board. With Bijan, I think if you're looking at who's going to positively impact your team this year, this year and for the next four to five years, I'm not sure there was a player on the board who will bring you more wins than what Bijan Robinson will bring the Falcons um, throughout throughout probably his entire Falcons tenure. Um, but you know that's that's my personal take on it. And then especially you know if you look at the offensive linemen, the Falcons got very good value as we've since learned with Matthew Bergeron with the Cowboys you know potentially taking him at the end of the first round. That's a good value pick where the Falcons got him. Whereas again, you take one at eight. Are they going to help you win games as much as what Robinson will? That's my personal take on it. I think they drafted a player who fit every box that they had to check there. And I think they drafted a player who's going to help them win the most games, not only this year, but for the next four or five years. Yeah, no, I, I you know, I, I'm a big fan of the Bijan pick. And you think about stuff that we were hearing today on Tuesday, where we're basically the, you know, getting close to the, the deadline for fifth year options to be picked up for the 2020 class. And just six of the top 10 picks had their fifth-year options picked up. And if you extend that to the rest of the first round, only, I believe, 13 of 32, which is definitely the worst, I think, in, in recent history um, of the, the first-round picks have had their fifth-year options picked up. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, only 13 of the players were, were good, but it definitely says something about teams wanting to commit to them in a big way for injury or other reasons. So... I think people really underrate the value of just hitting on your first round pick. Like it, it's, it's not a given even in the top 10, only six out of 10 in 2020 had their fifth year options picked up. Um, you know, the Falcons just traded for a guy in Jeff Okuda who, who didn't, you know, a top three pick, right. Who didn't. And 
Um, Jeff Okuda is a poor example because I think everyone probably would have told you that Okuda was one of the can't-miss guys, and I think his struggles have had more to do, obviously, with injury, and that's something you just can't really predict. But just in the name of of getting a good player, I think it's really underrated. I think everyone tries to really game the system and, and try to maximize you know value and positional value and surplus value on the cap and all this stuff, and that's all great. If, but the player has to be good for any of it to matter. And I think it's it's just getting a good player, period, is a big deal. Um, and it's not something you get every single year in the first round. Uh, and certainly not past the first round. And uh, Bijan being, I think, a top three talent in the class, one of the safest, cleanest, whatever you want to say, prospects out there, um, there's something to be said for just going with the, the layup, the easy pick you know um and i think it, it's sort of reductive to even say that he was the safest guy because i think he's one of the highest ceiling players as well um and i think the falcons have a real opportunity to sort of shift the narrative on running backs high especially if they're serious about what they've said which is that they don't view him as a running back they view him as as an offensive weapon like an offensive chess piece guy and i think that this is their opportunity to sort of show that hey you know, running backs maybe matter more than people think, especially with the way that the defenses have shifted to lighter boxes and, you know, more DBs on the field. Uh, the Falcons are, like we've talked about it, the Falcons are sort of going away from 11 personnel and all these wide receivers to the to the point where they didn't even take a wide receiver in this draft. Um, and they're, they're sort of de-emphasizing that position to a very high degree, and it's sort of sacrilege to a lot of NFL front offices and to a lot of evaluators. They're like, what are the Falcons doing? They're just, are they, they're just wasting... This this rot they're wasting Kyle Pitts and Drake London with with by going with Desmond Ritter that bum you know um, they can't seem to fathom that like it's all intentional and that they must just be incompetent so this is they'll have an opportunity to prove people wrong that they are doing something not only intentional I think it's obviously intentional it just doesn't sync up cleanly with what the NFL consensus which everyone's trying to copy the good teams and only a couple of those teams actually have ended up being good. You know, people tried to copy the Patriots for 20 years, but it, it rarely ever worked out. Um, maybe there's something to be said for blazing your own trail and, and trying to, to do something a little bit different um, and, and take some teams off guard, you know, with, with this really interesting offense that I think even if it doesn't work out, it's going to be exciting to, to watch them try to piece this thing together with all of these pieces they have here. Yeah, you know, if nothing else, you know, watching the film back Sunday night, Monday morning will be fun, um, which obviously for us on the media side is always going to be a, a big positive. Uh, for that alone, I, I would call it a home run pick at eight um, with Bijan. But no, you know, I, I feel like he touched on a lot of really, you know, important things there. And I don't think enough people are going to give the Falcons credit for being bold and being, um, you know, creative in the way that they're trying to go about team building. And, you know, as you said, it, there's kind of like a, a cookie cutter approach to team building that everyone's like, you have to follow, you know, this approach. You have to draft a running or you, you shouldn't draft a running back in the top 10 or, you know, you should draft a pass rusher, a quarterback, whatever it might be, you know, premium positions. If you're the Falcons and you have a, a vision for how you want your team to be run and you have a, a clear identity that you're trying to build, draft players who can positively impact that identity and that culture early, especially when you just spent, I think the, the total number was over 200 million across the length of every contract um, that they handed out this off season. 
they're going for it and they're going about it their way. And I, I don't think you can um, praise Terry Fontenot, Arthur Smith and the entire staff enough um, for their willingness to have a vision and to say, we don't care what other people think. We're going to do it our way. And we have faith that our way will work out. You know, I mean, you, I guess it's kind of like what I was saying earlier. Everybody, you know, I feel like I've seen a lot of people who've said, if you can draft, you know, a, a pass rusher is going to have way more value in the long run than Robinson at eight. That's great. But what pass rusher was there at eight that is going to fit the bill that you're trying to fit them into? There really wasn't anybody on the board. You know, I mean, obviously you've got Carter inside, but then you're kind of getting into a whole other positional value thing there because you've got Anyamata, you've got Jarrett locked up for the next several years on I think probably 70 million between the two of them. Then you add in Carter. That's inside. We're talking more outside pass rush here, though, as a whole, as far as pick eight, right? And so to me, with Bijan, value of him as an individual and as an offensive weapon obviously checks out. You know, you put on the tape. I mean, there's a, a viral clip that's been out there of him. You know, I think he ran a slot post last year against Iowa State, makes a heck of a catch over the middle while he's getting hit. I mean, you know, he's put it on tape. He's put several other very impressive catches on tape and has proven that he can really catch the football. Um, very natural. And again, that's the vision the Falcons have is to be positionless. And, and you know, we're going to run the football, but we also have offensive weapons, you know. So pretty much Arthur Smith has talked, you know, at length about we want to be as, you know, multiple as we can be. And they go out there. And he was talking the other day about how between Kyle Pitts, you got London, you got Johnny Smith, you've got Algier, you've got Robinson. He said we can pretty much line up an empty 11, 12, whatever it might be, 22 if they want to. And they can they can make it as creative as they want to, throw the same personnel at you and throw it in three to four types of looks. You know, I mean, that's it's, it's going to be a rough week for coordinators trying to prepare for that. And I don't think you can, you know talk enough about them seeing a vision and then making that vision happen. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a, there'll be a lot of opportunity for the Falcons to make a lot of people eat their words this, this season. I, I hope they can follow through on it, but again, it is, it is a risky approach. It is sort of an untested approach and maybe it blows up in their face, but uh, you know, we're, we're here. We're Falcons fans, right? We're going to assume that it's going to work because assuming that it doesn't work, is boring and that's loser mentality okay like we, we'll let the haters do that okay we're, we're not haters on this pod we're gonna we're gonna try to uh take a more positive outlook but i, I do think that it, it is the the ideas they're presenting and going with i think are intriguing i think there's a lot there's a, a clear case to be made that what they're doing is actually smart like by not putting all their eggs into an elite pass rusher either at the top of the draft or in free agency and instead taking this you know approach of let's get four guys that we know are all better than the other pass rushers we had last year and we're going to add them all and cumulatively we're going to have a better pass rush because every single player on our defensive front is better than they were last year and every single pass rusher you know Evicady we expect to be better coming back for a second year um, obviously they did return Lorenzo Carter but they also brought in Calais Campbell, who's still really effective. They brought in Bud Dupree, who hasn't been healthy, but he's only two, you know, two seasons removed from eight sacks, and the year before that, eleven and a half sacks. So, if he has finally had a chance to get healthy, at this point, he's like the fourth pass rusher. He's, you know, so they have a lot of guys. They're they're resilient to injuries at this point. Um, in terms of if they if they lose a guy for a short period of time, they've got another 
very capable player ready to step in. That's not just some practice squad guy, which is where they were last year. Um, so I, I, I'm interested to see how that plays out. And we'll obviously, unfortunately, the Jalen Carter and Bijan Robinson will be tied together forever in the minds of UGA fans, Falcons fans, whoever. And I think there's a scenario where both guys play really well. But I don't, I don't think the Falcons are going to be overly upset with the Bijan pick at any point. Um, especially after he's chosen jersey number seven. So I think we can, you know, officially get his Hall of Fame uh, fittings now. Um, we'll just update those in, you know, 10, 15 years. But uh, I, I think, you know, he's going to he's gonna make people very happy. But um, this is a very pro Bijan pod, but we probably should talk about the other draft picks too. Because uh, unlike some people, we realize the draft is more than just the first round. So uh, second pick surprised a lot of people didn't surprise Anon and I because we predicted it on the last mock draft uh we didn't predict the exact trade up but we did predict that they would take Bergeron at 44 they end up trading up to 38 giving up pick 110 in that move but Bergeron's an interesting guy uh what do you think about that selection yeah I actually also had that in my final mock so yeah, I see? Felt a little bit too predictable yeah, um, that was the only thing that I got right. And I officially will be retiring from mock drafting until March of 2024. Um, so anyways, yeah, I, I think very, very good football player is obviously the very first thing you have to, you know, mention, obviously he went number 38 for a reason. Um, but I think a lot of people have lost, you know, just how much Matthew Bergeron was valued around the NFL. Um, you know, there were reports that, um, obviously, you know, yesterday came out, the Cowboys were very fond of him at pick number 26. Like it was literally 50, 50, um, down to the last few minutes in their war room. Um, apparently Cincinnati at pick 28, I believe was, was also very high on him. I mean, these are, we've got two teams here who are in the playoffs who, you know, have are pretty much perennial playoff teams nowadays who are heavily considering him at the end of the first round. You know, and I mean, you kind of look in and he starts falling a little bit on, you know, in round two. He's a great fit for the for what the Falcons want to do. I mean, obviously he played tackle at Syracuse, but I mean, even back as far as I remember his pro day, you know, there were reports coming out of like, hey, the NFL views him as a wide zone offensive guard. Falcons are a wide zone heavy team who needed a left guard. They got that in Matthew Bergeron. They got a guy who can really finish blocks. Again, smart, tough, competitive, fits everything the Falcons want, high character off the field. Um, you know, I mean, he's he played, obviously, football in Canada for several years, um, which is a very interesting, uh, you know, the way they play football in Canada is very interesting. Um, but obviously, he's played American football now for four. Syracuse was his only offer out of college, and he became the first freshman to start an offensive tackle in like 17 years there. I mean, again, with no American football experience, all of that. So, I mean, he's um, he's a very unique talent, I feel like. And, you know, a lot of times you look at tackle converts in the, in the guard, and it's a lot of guys who, you know, perhaps are not that athletic as far as, you know, lateral range outside, whatever it might be, whether it be short arms, you know, whatever. Matthew Bergeron has the athletic and physical profile to play tackle. And I think that's very important, especially in, in, in the long run. But, you know, for now, you've got a guy who will, from pretty early on in his career, be a very, very athletic left guard, one of the more athletic left guards in the league. Um, and I, I think he's, again, when you draft Robinson at pick eight and you follow that up with, with him in, in round two, you've got two guys who are just going to help you establish an identity up front. And it's really just, again, it's, it's furthering the idea of like, hey, we know that you know what we want to do and we're going to do it anyways. Have fun stopping it. You know, like, I, I mean, they've got five offensive linemen now locked up through at least 2024. 
Um, four out of the five offensive line spots are now locked up through 2025. They've got talent. They've got physicality. They've got toughness. And they've got a lot of guys who are under control on the offensive line. And I don't think, you know, you can – I don't think you can hate on the philosophy there at all. I really think, it, you know, it's a regime that is stressed. We are going to be physical up front and we want to win games up front. And the offensive line now being set the way that it is with the talent that's on that line, I think there's a very fair chance the Falcons have one of the best offensive lines in football for the next several years, which is, you know, I mean, when's the last time that happened, right? Like, I mean, really, um, they have, that is, it's, crucial and you know for that with the value of where they got Matthew Bergeron I think it was a very good pick yeah I I've gotten to see Bergeron play I live in Syracuse uh you know my wife is a professor at Syracuse so we go you know Syracuse occasionally get to some games out here uh shout out to the new stadium uh they they renovated the dome after all those years but um just everyone is Everyone raves about everyone raves about Matthew Bergeron. Coaches love him. Um, Thirty nine starts has played left and right tackle. All the things you mentioned, you know, at, at tackle, I think he was an eighty, like an eight point seven RAS. At guard, he's in the nines, right? Um, high nines. So, elite athlete. We'll remind you of Chris Lindstrom in terms of that he has tackle size, um, but is playing guard and is an elite athlete there. Um, and you know, the upside, of course, is that the Falcons do get two of the better guards in the NFL. Um, and it helps when one can be on a rookie contract, obviously too. Um, and, and his, his upside long-term at tackle is certainly there. I think having him play guard initially takes a lot of the pressure off and mitigates some of his weaknesses dealing with speed around the outside. Um, because it's not really athletic limitations there. It's just technical stuff. It's punch timing, it's hand placement. And when you're working in a smaller area on the interior, it, it can help simplify that stuff early on, but like you said, the fact that he came in from Canadian football and immediately started at tackle in Division One NCAA, you know, in, in the ACC, I think it gives you a lot of faith that this is a really smart player, a, a fast learner. I think he will. He is is the prohibitive favorite for for left guard, even though he hasn't played guard probably in since he got to the to the United States. Um, he looked really natural at it at the Senior Bowl. Didn't really have any issues when he had to play on, on the inside there. And at tackle, he was also one of the best players at the Senior Bowl. So we know how they they value that. Uh, and I, I think he's he's definitely one that I think shouldn't have surprised fans as much as it, as I think it did. Um, it, it's building, continuing to build a strength and filling one of the biggest holes on the roster with a premium talent, a, a fringe first-round talent, I would say. And uh, I'm really excited to see how, how he develops. I think he's going to really, really impress people and people will come around on this one. I know people didn't love the trade up, but I, I think with the context and knowing like the Falcons needed to get in front of both the Panthers and the Saints, who both had interior offensive line needs um, to make sure that he, they got he's in Atlanta and not there. Um, so I, I, I think if people understand the teams they had to move in front of, they would also understand why they, they felt the need to do that. Um, and also real quick with people are like, why didn't you just draft Osiris Torrance later? He's, he's not a scheme fit. Like we've, we've talked about this guys. He's not, he's a man, you know, power gap scheme guard. Um, and he's a really good one, but the reason he fell is because he isn't scheme versatile. He's a man gap power scheme guard, and he needs to go to a, a power run team and it's just not, there aren't as many of those teams in the NFL anymore. It's mostly zone now. 
Um, now, every team's going to run some power concepts. The Falcons certainly still do. But in terms of like primary fit, he's not going to be able to hit those landmarks that the Falcons are asking Chris Lindstrom to hit. And they the Falcons want to be have that versatility on both sides, both guard positions, that they can trust Bergeron or Lindstrom to run the same play mirrored and not worry about that one of those guys can't hit the landmarks that they need. So um, I think fans are going to be really happy with this in time. So so give it a chance, guys. Um, yeah. Yeah, with uh, – oh, yeah, if you have something else to add, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to add it in particular. You know, I feel like a lot of people have, have overlooked the fact that they jumped in front of two NFC South teams, right? And obviously, you know, we'll kind of see in a few years here how that ends up working out. But would you rather play against him twice a year or have him on your team for 17? I, I think personally the way that he's built, the way that he plays football, and the way that he has played football for four years at a – at a power five school, um, you know, and, and the way that he's, cause you know, obviously you mentioned playing inside at the uh, senior bowl. That was, I believe he said um, on, on his press conference call, that was the first time that he played inside. And he said, you know, obviously it wasn't great at the start, but he said he got better like every snap, you know, and by the end of the day, it was like, I'm way better, obviously, you know, and obviously it's kind of what you'd expect, but I mean, it was clear progress, clear growth. He's a very quick learner. Um, and, you know, as you said, that he looked pretty natural there, too. And so um, I think, you know, it's kind of like with Bijan. You see a guy that's got a, a fairly high floor, but you see with the athletic traits and obviously all the intangible stuff that he has as well, very high upside as well. And I, I think that's really crucial in your top 50 picks, right? And I, I mean, I really um, – I've, I've said this a bunch, um, and I'm sure people are really tired of this by now, but you have to have a vision for how you want your team to look. And, you know, I feel like with the the moves the Falcons made in free agency, a lot of those moves had a clear vision with it. And I think when you look at starting with Robinson and Matthew Bergeron, you can see that the vision only strengthened in the draft. And so um, I thought that was a very big statement to make early. And I, I thought it ended up being, um, you know, a very, very smart move to jump to uh, to NFC South teams as well. Uh, I, you know, I, I feel like in the moment, a lot of people thought it was for a pass rusher. Um, you know, Keon White was a guy, I think a lot of people, it would not have shocked me if they drafted Keon White and, you know, obviously, I mean, it'll be kind of fun to see how, how his career plays out. Obviously, you know, we're for sure cheering for him, for Carter, for all the other guys out there who, you know, the Falcons passed up on, um, you know, but it'll be fun to kind of compare their careers in the long run. But I, I do think Matthew Bergeron made a lot of sense for the Falcons on the field, off the field, and should be a very, you know, kind of, as you said, a very impact player early for them. I think he's got the inside track at winning the uh, left, the, the starting left guard job pretty early in camp. Um, obviously it's up for grabs, but I do think there's pretty good reason to believe that he can be on the field week one. Yeah. And I, you know, you, the thing with Keon White that a lot of people don't necessarily realize is he was he was a very old rookie, quote unquote old, you know, um, it be, being 25 already. Uh, whereas Bergeron just turned 23 like a, a couple, like a month ago. So, and Bergeron's not like the youngest rookie either. But that those few years of development time mean a lot, and they mean a lot for your second contract. Whereas Keon White is coming up for his extension at age 29. Bergeron's coming up for it, you know, uh, at at age, you know, 27. So it, it, that's a big difference in terms of when you're planning to re-sign this second round pick that you're hoping is a key member of your team. And um, it shouldn't mean you don't draft a guy, but it might lead to them getting pushed down the board. And we saw that with Keon White. Um, so 
Stephanie White is a guy that I, I think is is going to be a good player too. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of reasons why Bergeron makes more sense for them, especially given the depth chart on the interior offensive line. Um, but, you know, quick word on that. Uh, th- those reserve spots on the interior are going to be feisty uh, because that, that group, there's a lot of guys in there now. Mayfield, yeah. uh, obviously Matt Hennessy is, I'm sure, still going to be in the mix at left guard. Um, and then you've got like Javon Gwynn, who they drafted late, who we'll talk about. And, uh, you know, Kyle Hinton, who they signed. And, uh, I mean, there's a lot of guys there now, Justin Schaefer. So, um, you know, some of those guys will make the roster and maybe one or two will make the practice squad, but there's going to be cuts, uh, to all to, to that group. So, um, I like what they're, what they're doing there where they're saying like, all right, we brought in a bunch of guys we like now it's survival of the fittest. So let's, let's see who we love. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so Ryan, yeah. Newsville too. I know he's yeah, guy. newsflash. Yeah, no, he is my guy. Uh, spoiler alert for the roster projection. He's still my guy, but, um, <laughs> that'll be coming next Monday folks, you know, stay tuned for that. But, um, Amen. yeah. Uh, third round, you talk about upside, another upside pick, another trench pick in Zach Harrison, the edge rusher from Ohio state. Uh, you know, conveniently people are like, well, the fact what, what the Falcons doing, they didn't address the pass rush. I mean, they, they added another top 75 edge rusher. They now have three, uh, you know, on the roster over the past two years. So Zach Harrison, obviously the production wasn't outstanding. I think it's better than people think. It's not like he didn't yeah. produce at all. Like he produced similar numbers to Jalen Carter. Obviously Jalen Carter is an interior player, so it's not exactly the same, but, um, Former like top five overall prospect in in the country, ridiculous thirty six inch arms length, all that stuff. How do you how do you like the uh, the Zach Harrison pick? Yeah, you know that that was kind of the one for me that I graded a little bit lower of the the top ones. And obviously, pre or immediately after you know draft grades are very important, of course. But uh, no, very you know, it, yeah, very very meaningful. But uh, no, I, I mean, you know, with with Zach Harrison, I, I think. You know, one of the interesting things about him um, for me that is not at all relevant to anything, I just wanted to point this out. He, he was a captain in 2021 and then wasn't a captain in 2022, um, which is kind of rare. But, you know, obviously still a very high character individual. Um, but I, I think when you look at Zach Harrison, as you kind of mentioned, um, the, the production there, he was second team all Big Ten in 2020 and 2021 and was first team all Big Ten in 2022. You know, I mean, the the raw production numbers aren't, you know, aren't, it's not going to blow you away. But he's still a guy who was an impactful player at a high major program for three consecutive years after being a five-star, all-everything recruit. You know, and I don't think you can – I don't really think you can stress enough how important it is to have played in those big games and those big – on those big stages and produce at a very good level. He had a lot of really good matchups with um, the left tackle from, from UGA um, who went – uh, I think number 14 to Pittsburgh. Yeah. Roger Jones. Jones. Yeah. 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 So he's, there was a lot of good matchups there. Right. And so to me, um, you look at Harrison, you look at a guy, I mean, six, six, two seventy four, arms that are 36 inches, huge wingspan, ran a four, six He's got all the physical tools. He has all the talent. And if you hear what he had to say, you hear what Arthur Smith had to say, this is a player that they feel is, is legitimately trending in the right direction and has been trending since about halfway through his senior year. You know, I mean, he's a guy, a lot of people I, I read, you know, just from elsewhere around the league, I've said, you know, around halfway of his senior year, it's like the light kind of popped on for him. I mean, so it, it's, I think there's a very good chance that he outplays his draft spot. And I think it's also very important when you have a player with his upside that you look at the room that he's entering and you've got 
obviously Ryan Nielsen, uh, tremendous, tremendous uh, coach up, up front. I mean, proved it in New Orleans time and again. Um, you know, you've got obviously a lot of veterans there with, uh, as you mentioned earlier, you've got Calais Campbell, you've got, um, on, on, you've got Onyemata inside who's going to be a part of that room. You know, you've got a bunch of other guys. Uh, I guess Zoe Carter kind of got mixed into there as well. He's, he's another guy you, you could probably point to as, as a leader on the edge. I mean, you've got a bunch of veterans in there who are legitimate leaders for them that they feel are, um, are, are kind of fostering a positive environment for growth. And, and so to me, um, there's, as you mentioned, there's, there've been people of like, why didn't they address the pass rush? They added 21 sacks, I believe. 21 and a in half. 21 and a half. Yeah. Between a half four, between, between four players, 21 and a half alone, I believe tops or matches what the Falcons had last year as a team. And I mean, you look at this. Okay. Calais Campbell had 14 quarterback hits last year alone, which would have been, I believe, second or third on, on the Falcons roster last year. Right. I mean, this is a guy, you know, you might say, well, I mean, he's getting older. Sure, but he's still productive. You know what you're getting in him. You know what you're getting. You're getting a guy who will significantly, all of the moves that the Falcons made are going to raise the floor of that pass rush to where you're probably looking at a unit that should get at least 35 sacks next year, which is going to be, that alone almost matches what they've done the last two years. And, and so Zach Harrison will not be asked to play right away. He's in a very good environment, I think, with you know all of the other veterans on, on, that, on that line with him, with a, a coaching staff that is – you know, is led by a guy who has proven that he can develop talent up front. And Zach Harrison is extremely talented. And so to me, it's a, a very good fit, a very natural fit, and one that I think could lead to him vastly outplaying his draft his draft selection. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right about that. And um, I don't know where this perception that people think he's just like not good or like is completely raw. Like he didn't blow up the sack sheet but if you actually look at his advanced defensive statistics you know from pff because pro football reference doesn't have it so you have to have pff to see it so i don't blame people for not actually knowing the numbers you know you don't have to pay for pff that's what we're for right um (laughs) but uh he had he's gotten better every single year at ohio state uh he did he finished with 33 total pressures this year at ohio state which that remember that's only 13 games also it's not an nfl season where there's 17 games there's a lot less games so keep that in your context um but six sacks it's not bad at all uh 33 total pressures um you know 21 run stops uh 86.1 overall pff grade and obviously pff is just one metric but like he had an 85.3 pass rush grade that's very high um so pff didn't think he was a bad player uh pff actually he was pretty good so i don't think he's as far off as people think he certainly needs to get better at finishing some sacks but definitely had a lot of pressures um and is a good run defender too like uh, he's big long um you know there's really not I, i think this is a guy that's gonna contribute more than people think and and i think early on he doesn't really even need to be active unless he's ready and hits the ground running but I mean, big, this is your Calais Campbell understudy because they don't know how long Campbell's going to be here. Maybe he's here for another year if things go well, Um, you know, is able to stay healthy. I know he prides himself on on that. Um, But 
you know, if Campbell needs to, if Campbell elects to retire or sign elsewhere next year, then you've got Zach Harrison ready. And I think that's exactly what this pick is. It's we need our big end. We and, and you know they even may decide that they want a package where they have two big guys out there on on base down. You know, um, so I think the pick is is good. It, it's a high upside pick, and I think that's what you're looking for in the third round. Like you're you're looking for upside guys. You're looking for guys that you can develop. And I think with the way they've constructed the edge room, you mentioned all the additions they've made, the guys they brought back. The guys they have from last year still, and and Ebicadium alone, who just seem to be forgotten about entirely. Um, They've got a situation where Harrison can just sit and develop on the inactive list if if he needs to, but he might be ready earlier than that. I don't think he's as far away as the sort of general consensus is. Um, So... That's an interesting pick. We'll, we'll see how quickly it plays out or if it plays out at all. You know, the third round is kind of a total crapshoot, yeah. but I like the idea behind it. I think it makes sense. Yeah, you know, I would for sure agree with that too. And I, I think, you know, again, as you mentioned, whether or not, you know, he is active, I don't think, you know, I'm sure next offseason, if, it's, if it's a type of thing where he's a healthy scratch, you know, five, six times, it'll be kind of like, well, is he really a long-term piece of the puzzle? you've got to listen to what they're actually saying about him right now. And it's that they don't expect him to legitimately be an impact player year one. And, and so I would, I think that's kind of more important to look at, you know, kind of a, I, I guess just remember um, for next off season in particular. Um, but again, I, I think Zach Harrison, as you mentioned, he is a lot closer and a lot has been a lot more productive than what a lot of people have kind of talked about so far. Um, but I, I think, you know, in particular with Zach, it's, it's all, talent he's extremely talented he's he's very very talented he's very athletically gifted physically gifted you know and i think again you don't have to play him right away but if you do the length and the athleticism there he's going to be a heck of a special teams player from the start right and so to me that's part of it too if you want to have him on the field you can find a role for him on special teams and so i think that's important to look at as well um, but again, I, I do think that it is important to note that this is a guy who is a very good fit uh, schematically on the field, off the field um, with a lot of upside to him. And so I, I think the Falcons are very excited about him. I think, you know, there's a there's very good reason when you look at his power, um, you know, and kind of the way that, again, everything kind of just clicked for him this past year. If you feel like you can just kind of keep on adding to what he's already learned at Ohio State and just kind of keep on. Um, as long as you can keep the arrow pointing up and it looks like it's really pointing up right now, I think you're going to end up being very satisfied with the pick. Yeah, I think so. And then that brings us, of course, to my favorite pick of the draft in terms of the value. Uh, Clark Phillips III, the quarterback out of Utah, uh, who got, even got the Brett Jukes stamp of approval, which since given mm-hmm. that he's a, a, a Utah player and, and Brett is an avid BYU fan, that, that is very meaningful. I don't think he, he generally gives out praise of Utah players lightly. So, um, yeah, what do you think about that pick? It was a little, I think it surprised people that they went for a corner instead of a safety or especially a wide receiver. Um, but uh, I think I think it's a really interesting one. Yeah, you know, I, I think the one thing that I instantly think about with Clark Phillips is just value. And I, I think really a lot of people, um, a lot of people expected him to be long gone by pick yeah. 113. And, you know, you could see the excitement in the Falcons war room. Obviously, you know, every time a pick is made, it's a lot of claps, a lot of cheers, whatever. But you could see genuine excitement um, in the war room there. And so I I really think they were surprised he made it as far as he did. Um, And I I think, you know, on the field, you're looking at a guy who was a unanimous All-American, Pac-12. I think he was AP Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year 
Yeah. Um, turnover magnet. I mean, he led the Pac-12 in passes defended in 2021 um, and came back, and I think he was up there pretty highly again this past year. And, and so, I mean, he's um, – I think he led the Pac-12 in, in interceptions, if I'm not mistaken, with six. Yeah. I, I mean, he's a he's – a, yeah, he's a turnover magnet. Again, very good ball skills. Again, when you look at the Falcons secondary, it's a lot of guys right now who are very tenacious. Is I think the word I would use, you got a lot of feisty guys in there who might not be – you know, I mean, I mean, it's not like they're trying to go after a Legion of Boom type of secondary at cornerback. They got all, all this length and size. That's not what they're trying to do on the outside. And I think a lot of people kind of have this image sometimes where it's like, let's add this big press corner, you know, whatever it might be. But they have a bunch of guys in there who are very quick, very athletic, very intelligent and compete extremely hard. And, uh, you know, another thing that's very important at corner, obviously, is, is just having that mentality, having having, you know, I guess swagger, you could call it on the outside, inside, wherever it might be. They've got a lot of guys that have that. Um, and I don't think you can, especially at corner, you've got everyone's, you know, even AJ Terrell lost a lot of reps last year. It's a position where it's natural. You're going to lose reps at corner. I mean, it's going to happen everywhere, but especially corner, a lot of your, you know, inopportune or just, I guess, rough reps are kind of emphasized all the more. These are guys who have proven that they are mentally extremely tough, extremely competitive. And I think that's a very important trait as you're trying to establish a roster that's filled with confidence, toughness, and just competitive football players. And, and so to me, um, you know, Clark fits a vision. And I, I think where they got him was outstanding value, might have been the best value pick that they made the entire draft. And so I'm, I'm very high on that selection. Yeah, I think that he will be playing soon. Um, I, I, I have total confidence in Clark Phillips. I, I think he was a, a free, I mean, he was a guy that was getting mocked in the first round early in the process. I think he measured in a few inches shorter than expected and then didn't test crazy good. I mean, his four five forty is still fine. It's still well above average for a corner. Um, and his 10 yard and 20 yard splits were both excellent. Um, so his, his short to middle area speed is, is very good. There's no issue there. It's the long speed where it's just above average. He's not, you know, a four, three type of guy on the outside, but, um, you know, it's really just the size, you know, he's five, nine and a half or whatever it is, or five, nine, um, one eighty five. Uh, he's, he's that one eighty five at five, nine, he's thick. Like it's not, um, it's not like he's this little spindly corner, like a, like an Emmanuel Forbes, <laughs> the needle. Um, but, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, what, what is he like? Six, one, one sixty five. That kid. Yep, yep. Um, yep. He's, he's out there. Uh, but Phillips is just so good. Like, I mean, I watch his tape and it's like, okay, I don't know what the issue is here. Like, yeah, he's small, but he's one of the only corners in the pac 12 that could handle Drake London or even compete with him. He, he handled Jordan Addison first round pick from this year handled pretty much everyone else that, that came up to him. And he was a good tackler and a good run support player. I mean, he's feisty. Um, he's not necessarily going to throw guys back when he hits them, but there's no concern about his ability to, to make the tackle. Um, so I, I think fans will be very, very, very happy with this one. I, I think he's going to find his way onto the field very quickly. I just think you can't keep him off. Um, I think he will find a way to get out there, um, you know, whether that's in the slot, which he hasn't really played. So that's going to take some time. To, to, to learn that role. I imagine the Falcons are going to train him in the slot and outside because I, I think his envisioned role right now is to be the quarterback for the sort of first man off the bench, no matter where you need him. Um, 
And, you know, I, I wouldn't rule out him supplanting Mike Hughes if, if his season goes really well. I, I, you know, Mike Hughes, UCF legend, like I'm not trying to slander my man, but, um, Clark Phillips is that good that I think he's going to challenge someone's, someone's starting spot sooner than later. Um, and if not just having him as your quarterback four is great because he's going to have to play soon. You know, at some point he's going to have to play. Uh, it's just the nature of how it goes at corner in the NFL. You need to have at least four to five good ones. Uh, and, and if your sixth one can be good, that's good too. So um, I, I think he's going to have a role early on and, and be a big time contributor for this team. Um, yeah. Well, we got two sevenths to talk about. Uh, first one, DeMarco Hellams, the safety out of Alabama. That was an interesting one. They did add the safety. He is sort of that big nickel type guy. Interested your, your thoughts on, on the Hellams edition. Yeah, I liked having the uh, live reaction on that one on the uh, live stream for the third day. That was I, I look forward to looking back on that one in a few <laughs> years. Um, one other thing about the live, I went back and I watched um, the part where my computer uh, froze on on the first. <laughs> yeah. It was on mid like. Yeah, it, it just it was froze. great. I was, yeah, that should become meme worthy, um, but I'm not going to put it out there because I don't want it to become meme. Okay, so, yeah, anyways, I'll try not to remind yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> right. So on, on the topic of Helms, though, I, I think really, you know, he's going to remind people of Keanu Neal. I think when they put on, you know, tape or highlights or however you want to evaluate your, uh, you know, picks, however you want to form the image in, in your head. Right. But um, he's extremely physical. Um, you know, I've, I've obviously watched a lot of Alabama football over the last several years, as have I'm sure a lot of people. Um, and the guy he got on the field really for the first time in 2020 um, at safety. And I mean, he always, he always stood out just because of how physical he was. And again, you know, there's not a lot of guys in college that can hit as hard as he could, but also keep it as clean as he did um, in the modern era of everybody being ejected for targeting. He was again, a very reliable player at safety. And again, you know, if you look back um, and you watch him play against Texas and play against Bijan, you know, there's a, a few moments there in the hole where it's one-on-one -on -one and he actually handled it fairly well. He got the bad end of some hits from sure. It wasn't as bad as Henry Toto being stiff armed into the ground and just left for dead. But, you know, I mean, it was shout out Bijan, but um, you know, Helms is again, very physical player, very reliable tackler um, with his physicality. I, I think that's a, that's a hard trade as well. And I think that's, what's kind of special about him. And, you know, I don't want to over, you know, hype up a, a seventh round pick, um, cause he, he fell for a reason. He's not the most, you know, fluid athletic fleet of foot football player. Um, but you know, you see a lot of guys that have to really throw their body around to create power and force as a tackler. And with Helms, it's all natural power. It's all just like, he is technically sound. He's reliable in space and he will hit you hard without hesitation. And he does it time and time again. And again, he proved he could cover a little bit in the slot. It wasn't always, you know, pretty. Um, and I'm not sure he's a guy that you want playing single high or anything of that nature. But again, put him in the box. You let him come up and hit people. Even if you just let him kind of play a little bit of a rover type of role. I mean, he's going to hit you hard and he's going to he can make an impact. And I do think he'll be a very good special teams player as a result of that, because he can, you know, he's he's fairly he's going to be more explosive in a straight line than laterally. And I think if you put him, you know, on teams, he's going to make a, a very big impact there just because, again, how good of a tackler he is, how much how much power he has. And then, again, his ability um, obviously played at a very, very good program for four years and, and 
I believe he led Alabama in tackles in 2022. So again, this is a guy who's a big time player at a big time program. And those are the types of guys that in round seven, you feel like have a very safe floor of at least being some type of contributor. Um, and round seven, you're really just looking for a guy who can make the roster and have an impact. And I think Helms will probably make the roster and be able to play on special teams as a rookie. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, it, it says something when you lead Alabama in tackles, uh, they also trusted him to play a lot of spots and that, I think that, you know, they Alabama does not put out DBs and trust them to play safety unless they know what they're doing. I think Helms is a lot smarter than people give him credit for. Uh, he does have athletic limitations. I, I don't think you're going to want him playing single high. I mean, they, Alabama did that sometimes, and the rest of that defense is good enough that he—and he's smart. So it, it doesn't—he doesn't look unathletic on tape. The testing obviously wasn't great, and in the NFL, that's going to get exacerbated. But if you put him in the box, make him play sort of that— star linebacker or you know sort of big nickel safety role I think he's going to be a great physical tackler there the special teams ability is is going to be excellent um and I think he's just going to be a really reliable guy that can fill a lot of safety spots in a pinch if you need him to you know the upside as like this high-end safety probably is not there due to the athletic limitations but in terms of his ability to be a a a reliable depth piece and and special teams contributor i i think he's a clear guy that you're like this is he's gonna make the roster like um and that's not always the case with seventh round picks you know half the time it's like well we'll see what happens but i think with helms there's a clear path for him to be the fourth safety and, and to make this roster and be an instant contributor um, and right now, you know, the Falcons have three safeties who they like, right? With with obviously Jesse Bates, Richie Grant, and, and Jalen Hawkins. So he doesn't really need to play unless there's an injury. But I think his ability to sort of play any safety spot in a pinch and be a special teamer will lead to him being active probably sooner than later. Yeah, and you know, the other thing with Helms as well, a very good leader. Um, and again, kind of as you mentioned, if you're getting on the field playing safety at Alabama under, under Saban, it's, very, uh, it, it's a very – um tough scheme to learn and again as you mentioned i looked i went back and looked at uh my report on him from a few months ago and again instantly smarts physicality competitiveness just how tough he was all of the intangible traits that you know we talk about the um new regime is really i guess it's not new anymore but you know the regime valuing is really present in his game and again, I think when you're trying to build, I'm going to just keep harping on it. When, you, when you're trying to build a collective image or a, a, an identity of a team, every pick that you make should embody that. And it's more of, it's not like, hey, we're just going to take these guys for that reason. It's more of like, these are the types of football players that we want. And this is how our roster will look. Whether it's round one, pick eight, or round seven, pick 224, we're going to have a collective image of how we want our team to look. And that's what, in, in my eyes, that's what Helms and then Javon Gwynn accomplish yeah no i agree and speaking of javon gwen we should touch on that one too that one that one surprised me considering they already added to the offensive line and that there was a lot of competition on the interior already but they don't feel settled about it clearly um and javon gwen is a really interesting guy you know being just a hair under six two a little bit under 300 pounds but you wouldn't know it by watching that film so what, i don't know if you've had a chance to watch i hadn't watched gwen at all before the pick um i definitely do like his tape uh there's not really a lot of issues on tape the size obviously has led to him falling but what, what do you think about gwen yeah i haven't gotten to a through a full game yet i did get to a little bit of his game against georgia um because i wanted to see how he kind of handled that and i i thought he did just fine i thought yeah. really again you know, you look at the size. I mean, he's got short arms. I think it's like 31 and a, and, a, and a quarter inch arms, you know, obviously very short. But again, he's inside. Um, 
you know, perhaps they'll play him at center. I think Arthur Smith mentioned that that they believe there is a chance for him to play a little bit of center. Um, and and so really, again, you know, you look at what he did, what he did at South Carolina. Again, tremendous, tremendous leader there, um, captain, I believe. Um, all of the Falcons' draft picks at some point in their college careers were captains, and I think that's again an, an, another sign of the character they truly value. Um, but with Gwen. The I guess everybody at that program just raved about him as an individual. I mean, he he won a bunch of awards. I mean, a laundry list of awards, whether it be, you know, off field, just like strength and conditioning awards, or, or whether it be academic things. I mean, he was a very impactful player in that locker room. I believe he was a four year starter as well at South Carolina. I mean, very consistent presence there. Obviously, second team All Conference um, in 2022. I mean, he started, I think it was like 46 consecutive games there to, to, to close his career, which very impressive, obviously shows, um, again, just how consistent he was there for them. And I think very athletic player is, you know, pretty apparent. He can really pull, he, he can hit it. He can hit his landmarks. He can, he can really thrive in the wide zone, I think. And I think, you know, you're looking at a guy who can potentially make his way onto the roster with Gwen just because of how, I feel like how well he actually does fit and just he, he can be functional at, at guard if you want him there or at center for that matter. And again, at, you know, we kind of talked about earlier, they've got a lot of bodies inside um, and it'll be a lot of fun to kind of watch that play out. But, you know, they've talked a lot about how camp will be very competitive. And I think you had a player in Gwynn who, again, embodies everything they want on and off the field. Um, when you add players like that who played at a very high level for a very long time, all that does is lift up the floor of your team. You know, and it's, it's only going to make that room more competitive and only will only uplift everybody else in that room. Um, and again, the more you build quality depth, because, again, a lot of teams, it, it's the NFL. A lot of teams have high level talent. You know, how much high level talent is often, you know, the separator. But having quality depth often is how you win games, especially late in the year um, come playoff time. And I think the more that you add players who can really uplift the overall floor of your team. It, you know, it's really that's how you win games. And so I, I'm not sure Gwen will make the roster. I think he's got a fair shot to fight for it. I think, again, it wouldn't shock me if he did. Um, but just I do think that he'll add a, a sense of value with the way that he's wired that will end up, you know, being quite valuable for the 225th overall pick. Yeah. And you look at the Falcons, they've they've if you make the practice squad in Atlanta, you shouldn't view that as like, oh, well, you're you're just going to hang around for a while then disappear like they've had a pattern now of guys spend a year on the practice squad and then make the roster you know look at ryan newsel spent a, like you know good good amount of the season uh on the roster after being on the practice squad for a year um you know they've kept linebackers and, and had them do that um so it, it him making the practice squad shouldn't be viewed as like well that's it he's a bust like it, it no like the falcons are serious about the practice squad being a pipeline to the roster they bring a lot of their guys back year to year to continue developing them. And, um, you know, I think we'll table the UDFA discussion just because we're almost at an hour and we got several months to kill before we actually get to training camp. So we'll we'll, we'll come back to that. But um, I think it's it's interesting who they have and, and this these draft additions I think have been really savvy. But before we sign off, I do want to give you a chance to give your thoughts sort of on the collective class and how, how do you feel now that we have the, I guess, technically 89-man roster, you know, relatively set. Yeah, I wonder who pick ninety will be, or and player ninety will be. Corey maybe Davis. Penny Hart. Maybe um, yeah, maybe Penny Hart. They visited with him today, right? So Penny Hart, yeah, yeah. He's just warming up the spot for Corey Davis, is all. No, but <laughs> yeah, um, that's that. That would just just for me to be right. I think I need to, uh, you know, 
to have that. But. Very, very good for the brand. Uh, yeah, 2023 draft class. I, I think, you know, again, you look at very shared characteristics between, you know, each player, captain, leader, uh, tough, competitive, instinctual. These are all things that, that Fontenot and Smith have preached about for years by now. And it feels like they've, throughout the whole offseason, all, all they've done is strengthen the identity that they've been trying to build. Um, you know, they felt coming into the offseason, you know, very strong culture. Um, and I, I think all they've done is kind of help add to that. And I, I think you look at, I think you'll probably get three players who should start um, relatively early. Obviously, Robinson, Matthew Bergeron should start, um, should start probably week one is the expectation there. I think Clark Phillips is a very good chance of starting relatively early, whether it's week one or not. We'll, we'll you know, kind of see how that plays out in camp. But I think you'll have a shot at it for sure. Zach Harrison, I, I think you have to love the upside there. I really do. I, I think, you know, at pick 75, you have a chance to, you know, draft a guy who a few years ago was thought of as a first-round talent. And, I mean, really off of raw talent, he probably is a first-round type of talent just with all of his tools and everything he has to work with. Um, again, not a first-round player quite yet, but still – you can see the upside there, the vision. Um, and then again, working working into round seven, as we just kind of talked about, you've got two guys there in Helms and Gwynn who can, you know, contend for the roster. Helms, I think, is a very, you know, has a very good chance of actually making the roster. Um, and you kind of look at it like, hey, these are guys who can legitimately help our team and can uplift the floor of our team. Um, and, and so I think it was overall a very good draft class. I think with Bijan, Again, unless something just disastrous happens to him, he's going to be a very good pro. And I, I think Bijan has a chance single-handedly to help the Falcons win football games. I think he will be an incredibly valuable football player. I think he has a very good chance of winning Offensive Rookie of the Year. Um, and again, I don't think it's going to be the type of deal where you, we look back in five years and say, how did they draft that guy? I think it's going to be like, man, that was a very good decision. Um, and again, I, I think there's a very good chance the Falcons walk out of this draft class with three, if not four potential starters and a, you know, a few special teams assets as well. Yeah. And that's what you're going for. You know, I think you're, you're looking for two to three starters and, and you're hoping for more than that, but I think that's a reasonable expectation for this group considering who they got. Um, and it's really just sort of a wait and see, I think on Zach Harrison to see if he can become what they, they want him to become, but I certainly like the upside there. Um, yeah, Daniel, it's been great. Once again, guys, he is Daniel Flick at DFlick Draft. Anything you want to plug before we sign off today? Um, yeah, I, I guess you can find my articles at si.com slash NFL slash Falcons. As we talked about on the live show, I have been known from time to time to write an okay article. Um, so those are on there. Those are um, you know, obviously got a lot of draft content coming out. Uh pretty soon we'll get to OTAs and all that stuff. And and I'm sure that the Falcoholic Live pod will be uh popping so yeah 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 of course always popping yeah well we're we're, you know, we're getting close to you know now now we enter the quiet period after we do all these draft recaps and then we'll have to try to make that's when it becomes really exciting can get to you know some some other podcast topics then that people have been clamoring for but uh might emphasize the bruise aspect of the pod a little bit more during during those months but um guys thank you so much for tuning in with us today i'm kevin i have alcoholic kevin uh Remember to check out the show Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern as well. We'll be having lots of these draft and off-season recaps coming out over the next week because I will be on vacation. Uh, but the content will keep flowing because, you know, I do this thing called time travel where I record something and then I publish it while I'm gone. And it makes it seem like it came out, you know, while I was while I was on vacation. But, you know, technically 
I recorded it before the vacation. So, you know, don't worry about me overworking while I'm, while I'm supposed to be on vacation. But uh, appreciate everyone for hanging out uh, on the Dirty Birds and Brews podcast presented by Bet Online. We will see you next time, guys. Have a great day.